The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for January 5th, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young here. Oh, first episode on the main feed of the brand new year. And friends, let me tell you. This is going to be a good one. This is going to be something that uh, I think you are, are, are going to enjoy, mostly because we're going to dive a deep into an esoteric law that was invented in the 1870s that may very well present a devil's bargain for the Democrats in Congress Currently, hmm. if you are not aware of the Electoral Count Act and exactly how it was used in January 6th, well, you're going to want to listen to this because we're going to talk a lot about it. So, yeah, this is our January 6th episode. I think a lot of you guys know that I I, I feel like we've... It's not that I don't think that January 6th is important. I do think January 6th is important. I just feel like we talked about it a lot. How can we miss you if you never leave January 6th? So, we're going to have a conversation a little bit later with Andrew Heaton about just all of it. It's a great convo. You're going to really enjoy it. And in between those two segments, we're going to take a look at Joe Biden's uh, first poll of the new year, a meaningful poll uh, uh, in the new year by USA Today. It's not good, (laughs) but also it has a glimmer of hope for the Democrats writ large as we now begin officially the mid-term calendar. All right, all that. But first. And now to our other lead story tonight, the political fallout from the near collapse of negotiations over the Bill Back Better legislative package, a keystone of President Biden's domestic agenda. Build Back Better. Better is dead, dead, dead for now. I mean, it might reincarnate, not unlike Doctor Who, and we'll see whether or not it's well-received. But the Democrats, and specifically Chuck Schumer, need to focus on passing something because 
the closer we get to the midterms, the harder all of this is going to be. Indeed, if we continue to see a dire outlook for the president, then you might just have out and out rebellion when it comes to the lawmakers. And since this is a particularly tight margin, the tightest it can possibly be, well, Chuck Schumer has to move. And he's got to move fast. Nothing is going to get easier the closer we get to November. What is on the menu then? Well, as happened right after it became very clear that no Build Back Better was going to pass before the end of 2021, the gaze of the Dems went to voting rights. So what does voting rights mean? Well, either the For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Act. For the People is pretty much just a gigantic wish list for Democrats. Even folks on the leftward side of the aisle seem to think it's a little bit thrown together and a little broad. The John Lewis Voting Act is tighter, but still runs into a problem. Yeah. You guessed it. No Republicans are going to support this. And since voting rights would be even more of a stretch to tie into the budget, which is what reconciliation is there for, that means that if the Democrats would like to pass these bills, then they are going to have to do something about the filibuster. Of course, the filibuster means that you need 10 Republicans in this particular configuration of the Senate to move something forward. And the filibuster is the thing that both Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin do not support amending. Now, Chuck Schumer has said, we're going to take votes on this. We're going to make Kirsten Cinema. We're going to make Joe Manchin believe every inch of the fact that the filibuster should not be reformed and we're going to humiliate them by making them vote against voting rights while every other Democrat votes for it. Which it seems that both of them seem pretty willing to do, or at least have been willing to do up till this point. So you got to ask a question. Is any form of voting reform D-O-A? Not so fast, says a voice from around the corner. Yes, we're getting whispers that there might be a deal to be had. Oh, that old devil Mitch McConnell. The newly amiable Mitch McConnell. Hey, Chuck, remember when I helped you avoid a massive uh, funding disaster? Not once, but twice. A debt ceiling issue. Remember me? I'm your friend, baby. I'll help you. And I got a deal for you, Mr. Majority Leader. Goes something like this. I can get you the Republican votes to help you pass election reform. Same way I got you the votes that helped avoid that debt ceiling issue. Same way I got you the votes on the bipartisan infrastructure deal. In fact, we'll help you pass something that specifically is tailored to deal with what happened on January 6th. That's something that MSNBC can be happy about. Now, 
Okay. Okay. I understand. You know there's a cost here. Here's here, here's what it is. It ain't going to be either the For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Act. All right? Just understand that those two things are dead. Throw them away. It's going to be one thing. The reform of the Electoral Count Act. So what is the Electoral Count Act, dear listeners? I'm glad you asked. Created after a disputed election in 1876, the Electoral Count Act effectively removed much of the ability to debate a slate of electoral college electors in Congress. The goal was to resolve any issues with electors on the state level and make Congress more of a dumb pipe. So, Let's go back on that. Uh, uh, obviously, we do not elect a president based on national popular vote. We do it via electoral college, which in our modern sensibilities, we kind of just sort of think like point values on the board. Uh, so Texas is worth X and New York is worth Y and California is worth whatever, right? But in reality, the way that this happens is each state puts together a slate of people, electors, that actually cast their votes. So what happened in 1876 was those electors were debated in Congress. This violated the spirit of the framers who did not want Congress to be able to debate and decide who the president was. They wanted the states to do that. So instead of having those debates happen in D.C., they decided to kick it back. This was the compromise. They decided to kick it back to the states and they say, look, don't even show up here with these electors until you've figured everything out. That was essentially what it was. But, but, but there are caveats including one that was at the heart of the chaos that broke out on January 6th. So if there is a dispute on the slate of electors, so once the state has given the slate of electors to Congress, a representative from that state can bring an objection. If it is then seconded by a senator, then there is a joint session called to debate it. This is what successfully happened on January 6th with both Pennsylvania and Arizona. Four other representatives from other states attempted to bring it up, but their senators would not play ball. It was during the debate of either uh, House about the state of Arizona that the January 6th riots literally breached the Capitol. Now, Democrats have used this tactic in the past. House representatives on the Democratic side challenged results in 2000, 2004, and 2016, but only once in 2005 in relation to the 2004 election did a senator actually move the issue forward. Those complaints were dismissed, as were the complaints dismissed in 2020, eventually after, you know, the riot. But there's another caveat. And this is about the role that the vice president plays. 
There have been many vice presidents who have presided over and certified their own tickets loss, sometimes their own loss, as what happened with both Richard Nixon and Al Gore. But we don't, according to the laws of the Electoral Count Act or the verbiage of the Electoral Count Act, know exactly what that vice president can do. Some people believe that the vice president has particularly expansive powers. And that was something else at the heart of the January 6th run-up. According to the book Betrayal, the final act of the Trump show, Trump's lawyer, Jenna Ellis, sent a memo to Vice President Mike Pence on New Year's Eve 2021 that would exploit the vice president's role in the Electoral Count Act. I'm going to quote from an ABC News article that summarized this. Ellis, in the memo, outlined a multi-step strategy. On January 6th, the day Congress would, would be to certify the 2020 election results, Pence was to send back the electoral votes from six battleground states that Trump claimed he had won. The memo said that Pence would give the states a deadline of 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 15th to send back a new cent of votes. Then, Ellis wrote, if any state legislature, uh, legislature missed that deadline, no electoral votes can be opened and counted from that state. I'm presuming, uh, this is me editorially, I'm presuming also that part of the understanding would be that state representatives in those states would intentionally mire this up. So, it's not that they would send back new electors. They would just miss that deadline intentionally. We go back to the ABC News uh, recap. Such a scenario would leave neither Biden nor Trump with a majority of votes, Ellis wrote, which would mean that Congress shall vote by state delegation, which Ellis said would in turn lead to Trump being declared the winner due to Republicans controlling the majority of the state delegations with 26. So we've got. Two issues with the Electoral Count Act. Number one, it allows or possibly does it. We don't know. It's unclarified. A very wide and broad role for the vice president. And there are still ways that Congress could, and this would be in more of a supermajority situation, effectively discount legally cast votes by the will of the people. So, how would we change the Electoral Count Act? Since Republican involvement is going to be key to any potential deal, I'm going to read from a summary that I found on uh, the website of the right-leading think tank, Cato. Quote, there's already broad consensus about what needs to be done to fix the Electoral Count Act. Ambiguity should be clarified. The grounds on which Congress can reject votes should be narrowly constrained. The role of the vice president should be made very clear. States should have fair notice of what they're expected to do and how they can make their electoral votes beyond reproach. 
The proper role of the courts should be taken into consideration, the threshold for objections to be made and or for Congress to accept objections should be raised so that bipartisan agreement is necessary. Credible constitutional objections to the ECA should be resolved, and there are details that need to be decided on all these points, but none of them should be fatal to crafting a proposal that members of both parties can endorse. So let's go over again. Codify the role of the vice president so he can't toss a bunch of votes into the shadow realm. Clarify what exactly constitutes an issue with a voting slate. Make it more sturdy and in line with the Constitution. In short, take what the ECA hoped to make out of Congress a dumb pipe and make it even dumber. All right, but let's get back to the present day. Let's say that Mitch McConnell offers that deal to Chuck Schumer. Let's say that Chuck Schumer is looking at a barren wasteland of legislative achievements between now and a midterms that may or may not cost him his job. Does he take that glass of water in a desert of futility? Does he do it knowing that this might be the only achievement he can make on this front? Or does he continue to put Mansion and Cinema in the sweat house, allowing them to dangle in front of the public, hoping that they will eventually break and support a filibuster suspension? It's a very interesting question. I think Joe Biden might, might be in the mood for, you know, a bipartisan win? Would Chuck Schumer? Oh boy, that would certainly go from go big or go home, transformational Chuck to old base hit Schumer. But still, the Republicans could say, we are trying to stop what could happen on the national level on January 6th. And guess who didn't want to do it? The Democrats. Time will tell. I don't see how you can hate from outside of the club. You can't even get in. <laughs> this is a Joe Biden approval poll from USA Today Suffolk, taken from December 27th to December 30th with a thousand registered voters. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the first of 2022. A Stepping up first to the stage, 
with 40% of respondents. They believe that that ice cream consuming centrist has everything under control. He shut down the virus and not the economy. He is the steady hand at the wheel when it comes to Joe Biden as the president of the United States of America. These 40% But your headliner with 54% of respondents, they believe that this man is a failure. This man has not done anything to stop the virus. He has not done anything to make testing better. He has not done anything on the supply chain. The border is a disaster. Afghanistan is even worse. And who knows what he has up his sleeve in 2022 with 54% of respondents and a let's go, Brandon. We have this That is approve 40%, disapprove 54%, a 14 point spread. Now that's bad. 14% down is higher than the real clear politics average, which is currently at 11.6. At its worst, it was 12. Uh, so. Yipes, stripes, uh, uh, and and considering we're seeing some stock market volatility, I I I I'm becoming more and more sympathetic to the idea that that we are we are going to be in more economic turmoil by the time that the midterms hit uh, than we are now. And if that's the case, I mean, you know, even if COVID gets better, if COVID recovers because we have this tremendously transmissible, but by all accounts, uh, not as dangerous version of the virus that is circulating right now, there is the argument to say that that this spring, you know, might be what last spring was times a thousand. Uh, uh, we might actually see a a fairly robust rebounding from COVID. But if inflation's still high and the stock market's going down, and we are seeing uh, uh, other negative economic indicators, including including the employment shortage and everything like that, well, uh, that's that's bad, right? That is that is that is capital B A D bad. Here's something that's not bad. In this same poll, this USA Today uh, Suffolk poll, and there was another poll that came out uh, uh, as well. Despite the fact that both of them had Joe Biden underwater by double digits in the question of who would you vote for in a generic ballot. So you don't know what the candidate is. You just know if the candidate is a Democrat or a Republican. This tends to be a stat that you're going to hear a lot when it comes to the midterms, mostly because, you know, nobody really knows the ins and outs of a lot of these house races. And yet it's going to decide the lower chamber. The Republicans have, I mean, shocking to me because I, I very rarely remember the, the, the Republicans doing well in this poll, but they have been. Until these two, Democrats plus one 
in both of them. Is it within the margin of error? Yup. Does it really mean anything? I don't know. But as far as good news goes for Democrats, it has been slim pickings, like a blazing saddle supporting role. So uh, uh, I, I would I would say take what you can, Dems. It's good that, that they are up one. Oh, boy, though. Those Biden numbers, uh, you know. Not good. And look, you can compare him to Trump, but also this at this time in the Trump presidency, again, we were actively seriously talking about whether or not he was an agent of a foreign state. To my knowledge, we're not doing that with Joe Biden right now. So I think it represents some larger discontent and that ain't good. All right, a couple things to go over real quick. Number one, I want to make this show better. I have always wanted to make this show better. I need to make this show better. Every day I wake up and I say, how can I make this show better? But I can turn my little uh, inception top of a brain as fast as I want. I don't know what you want. I need to know what you want, which is why I'm going to ask you to go to px 3 and that is letter P, letter X, number three, survey.com. There you're going to uh, see a very quick survey that's just going to ask you a, a few basic questions. Uh, uh, what you like, what you don't like, a guess, guess that you've really liked, guess that you'd like to see on this show. I want to make this year the most star-studded guest list that we've ever had on this program. I feel like we're ready for it. This is the time that we need to step our game up. So shoot the moon. We're going to do our best to get whoever you guys want on this program. As well as all your reoccurring favorites. One of the things that I've already seen on these surveys is that you guys like our essay episodes. You like our Dana Carvey episodes. You like the Trump campaign undertaker. You liked what the Grinch can teach you about political courtesy. So I'm going to give you one. I have an idea. It's a weird one. Some of y'all might not like it, but you're going to get it on Wednesday. I, I, I'm really, I'm really happy for it. I think it's something that you guys are going to be able to share with your friends and family to give a sense of kind of the, the more thinky elements of this show. But I will not know what else you guys like and who else you guys like unless you go to px3survey.com, fill out that survey. Also a reminder, all of this brought to you by the fine folks who go to takepoliticsseriously.com and sign up for our premium uh, our, 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 our premium program. The $3 level, you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. Uh, uh, the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show this week was really fun. Uh, uh, we, we, we went over, I mean, God, so much January 6th stuff. And, and so I, I got a lot of that off my chest there. Uh, but also, we're seeing, I mean, and what, what we do on the, on the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show is just uh, try to suss out some some trends. I try to pick up some patterns 
I've noticed something recently. Governor Jared Polis in Colorado and the new mayor of New York City, these are high-profile Democrats that are out there not challenging the Biden administration, but offering slightly different takes. Takes that I don't know we would hear at those levels if the president was popular. What I believe, intentional or no, are that these takes are kind of road tests to see what some of the post-Biden messaging might be. Uh, And by that, I mean post just now Biden. Maybe Biden's the one saying it. But I think it's very interesting. If you want to hear that and make the first podcast you listen to each and every week, PX3, well, only one place to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our guest today is no stranger to the program. He is the host of The Political Orphanage. He is Andrew Heaton. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I don't want to do another episode about January 6th, and yet here we are discussing January 6th Mm -hmm. again because this is the one-year anniversary of January 6th. Comes up every year. How much do you like talking about January 6th as a political media pundit? Probably more than you do, because I, I don't have that much I get self-righteous about. Okay. Um, I think it's because I, I was kind of self-righteous uh, and a little bit insufferable when I was religious. Okay. And when I quit being religious, I I found self-righteousness to be a very uh, odious emotion to exhibit. And I've, I've intentionally tried not to be self-righteous when I interact with people. Um, I meet a lot of people in politics who basically signal which team they're on by being self-righteous. Yeah. And I can't get in on that. And so for me, so, uh, the the January 6th stuff, I can get a little self-righteous about um, because I, I do like, I don't know, I feel very strongly about it. I used to work over there. Um, I had friends in the Capitol. I was texting when it happened. Mm, yes. Um, and beyond that, I don't know, being an American, I, I do like, um, I do get very worked up about all of that. Now, so, I, I, I have a slightly different not not a not an antithetical perspective, but a little bit different in that I am more worked up about the court cases than I am about the insurrection. I think the insurrection was the result of all of the bad stuff, not the bad stuff itself. It was sort of the so by when when you say court cases, because now there are many many court cases that are wrapped around January six. You mean specifically? I mean the things filed by Giuliani and Sidney Powell yes, and Linwood that were challenging the counts. Yes, yeah. exactly. The non the what is it forty or so nonsensical cases that were all filed in a very strategic attempt to subvert the election by like carving out just purple districts and states um, in an attempt to remove whatever blue stuff might happen or or blue districts and states um, and doing it under the flimsiest of pretenses to where uh, both judges and Republican judges and even state AGs who are Republicans went, we, we got nothing. We can't, that to me is Cause, much cause more it, destabilizing. And, and let's, right, let's, let's drill down on that. Cause you've already gone over a couple of things yeah. that I want to touch on. Uh, your issue with that is that it is outside the mechanism of a recall that states either have or don't have like, like they're, they're, they're states, state by state. There are laws that say, okay, either we will do a recall or it's not a recall recount. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, 
it is within this margin or many states don't or some states have, hey, you can pay for a recount if you want, but we will not do it. So it was it was outside of of those mechanisms. That's what was odious about it. I, I have no I have no problem with a, with a recount mechanism. That, yeah. That's fine. You, you need to have that. And I'd, I'd say like for states that have an automatic recount when it's a tight vote, that makes sense to me. And I think that you you need that to reassure citizens that we actually take this seriously. We we being the government, which I'm not a part of, but yeah, um, you need to have that. So I have no problem with that. the The problem that I have is um, one, I I see two major problems with the the lawfare that was going on, not warfare, okay. but lawfare that was going on. One, I think that it is extremely caustic to a republic to have losers say that the election is illegitimate. And there's blame to go around on both camps, but I think Trump's been the worst of it. Now, the Democrats were bad about it in 2016 as well, claiming that Russia rigged the election and all these things. Also caustic, also toxic, because if we're going to have a republic, and I would prefer- I'd throw to, 2020 in there too, or sorry, a 2000 in there too. In, in 2000. Yeah. Um, although I wasn't really paying as much attention back then. Mm. And I was a Republican, you so were I living probably in found Florida. it funny at the time. Uh, yeah, I was, I know I was Florida. I was, I was a top thumping Republican in 2000. Um, uh, to, to have people say not that this was a bad call of the electorate, but the, that the electorate itself was tricked and subverted and democracy itself is a sham is an extremely damaging, dangerous thing for a republic to have. That bothers me. Um, the, the other thing that bothers me is that with, with the court cases that were going on, it wasn't a situation of we, we're not sure about this district. Please do a recount. That would be fine. I don't have a problem with that. The problem was that the Trump campaign was going into, say, Arizona and saying, uh, Judge, we want you to throw out all the votes in this county because there's been discrepancies. Not we want you to do a recount in Arizona, which might be cumbersome, but is all right. But we want you to throw out this targeted county that we know is blue, because if enough judges throw out enough blue counties, we're going to win it. And so uh, another thing, I'm, I'm a stickler for universal norms. If we're going to have a rule, it has to apply to everybody. And, and what they were doing was very, very intentionally trying to go in and surgically excise reliable blue votes in Philadelphia and in, in Pittsburgh and all these different places. Yes. It was very, very, it was tactical. On, 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 on the allegations of widespread fraud. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, a baseless widespread fraud. Uh, yes. widespread fraud. And, I, and I, what worries me about that is I think we might very well be entering a period of American history where um, half of the election is the actual election and half of it's just has who has better lawyers where, where both sides um, begin to go. Well, so, we're so we're not going to these this. things fail doesn't give you any comfort. The fact that they were fairly widely mocked. And, and let me also point out that when we talk about the Trump campaign, the Trump administration, it really is a very, very loose collection of, of people that tend to have a very transient quality to them. By all reporting, uh, uh, many of the people that actually ran Trump's campaign were no longer in the room where these decisions were being made at the point that these lawsuits were being filed. They had kind of been summarily sort of un- uh, pushed out and and in came the Giuliani's and the Sydney Powell's and the Lynn Woods. Sure. Uh, and, and I'd say like, um, yes, that it, it makes me feel, I will say it gives me a lot of faith in the judiciary Yeah, that I, there was, I, to my knowledge, not a single judge, uh, not a single federal judge anywhere in the country that sided with Trump ever on that stuff. And when I say that, I want to be very careful. I'm not saying sided with Trump in the sense that they preferred him as a candidate. That's not what I'm talking about. Just 
they did their job as judges and looked at the evidence and went, this is not sufficient. Your, your legal case is not sufficient to get no. this thrown out. Yeah. That made me feel really good about the justices that you can look at a Republican judge and go, I probably disagree with that guy in economics, but he's doing his job as a judge, which is exactly what they should be doing. So I feel good about that. Um, uh, I think that one of two things is happening. Either the the bedrock of the republic is getting shakier and shakier, or um, this is always happening to some extent. We're just getting more media attention on it. Um, if we were to take the latter case, uh, we we people do have a very short term memory. So um, like right now, if an off sided statistic is that like I don't know, I, I don't remember what it is. Seventy percent of Republicans still think the election was rigged. I can't remember what the exact. I don't. Yeah, is, I, I think that's 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 inflated based on what I've seen. But okay. Yeah. Um, what what people forget a lot of the time is that if you go back to nine uh, eleven, about half the country thought that nine eleven was an inside job, and most of them were Democrats. And so, like, they're like, I, I say this because it's not just Republicans being crazy. There there is like this sort of tendency to um, get really angry and just throw whatever we can at the opposition when we lose. Um, so yeah. hopefully and, and that I, is. And the I case. would like to see numbers on, especially coming post Supreme Court decision in 2000, what the number, the percentage of Democrats that believe that Al Gore was the rightfully elected. Right. Uh, yes, and it uh, would be president. very salient. Yeah. Or, uh, or like, again, like when Hillary Clinton lost, um, uh, it's it's worth pointing out that Hillary Clinton was exploring trying to get faithless electors to um, to come over to her and and put her in. Now, that would have been legal under the Constitution, for the record. It just would have been um, subverting the norm. For now, though, apparently that's that's something that is being discussed in a possible bipartisan move is, really? to, is to reform some of that. Uh, uh, oh, which, to get rid of faithless electors? Uh, yeah. To make it a more direct, yeah. uh, a little bit less locked in. ceremonial, yeah, like, yeah. you know, then you go to the Tea Party and the person decides who's, like, they all stand up and turn around three times and say who the president is. No, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all, because the, there were a number of Republicans in 2016 that jumped ship and voted for, like, Ron Paul and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but, um, you know, Hillary Clinton was exploring that option. I think she probably did explore court cases, but decided against it. Um, probably some combination of morality and tactics. I mean, just but she if we're, she okay, lost. okay. So let's let's. And then there was the whole Russia Gate thing, which turned out to be complete bunk. So all right, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, geez. All right, so let's go down this thing. But I want to get back to the idea of of January sixth specifically okay, yeah. as a day, um, and and specifically how much of it is a local story versus a national story. Uh, what? Let's separate from your point of view. Is it the lawsuits that by and large were looked at as meritless, Sidney Powell humiliated, Rudy Giuliani yeah. goes from America's Meredith, mayor yeah. to to now somebody who is leaking oil from his ears right. and and mocked relentlessly. Lynn Wood, somebody that is now uh, uh, even reviled, especially okay, he had a thing with Kyle Rittenhouse or something. So now even on the right looked at as a total con man. Uh, uh, or is it those lawsuits, the fact that they were that they were filed or the fact that they furthered conversation and gave any kind of quarter or legitimacy to the idea that there was widespread fraud? What, what is it the, like the lawsuits or the effect of the lawsuits in your mind? I, I can't separate them in my mind. Um, like what, what I'm looking at is, um, yeah, the, the delegitimizing democracy. OK, um, uh, that, that's, that, that's uh, the that's central all, thing. That's, is that, that's, de that's, de all, that's all I want to get to, because. If we're and, and, and I that, should say not not just the not just the aura around it, but actually delegitimizing it. Because if let's say like what Trump wanted to do in the Eastman memo, which has been published and is out in the open, what he wanted to do was when when Mike Pence was taking the ceremonial electoral votes, which is usually a rubber stamp thing. What he wanted Mike Pence to do was to say states from these 
uh, these disputed states, which is to say yeah. states that Biden won where the Republicans claimed there was fraud, yeah. he would go, well, you guys couldn't make up your own minds. So we're just going to discount you and throw them out. That was the goal. Now, that was that was subverting the democratic yes. process yes. in order to win it on a on a falsified technicality. That to me is very, very disturbing. Okay. So like that's coup level stuff right there. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Like and, I'm, I'm and, more bothered. I'm more bothered by the Eastman memo than I am by the January 6th riot. Okay, good. So let's get there. Right. Okay. Uh, because I agree with you. Nice. I think that good. I think that by and large, there was a lost art in this country. And that is the dignity of losing, of being a loser, of looking at the effort that you put in and saying, boy, did I lose that and moving on. Uh, many of the greatest heroes in American history took big fat L's and didn't mince words about it. Yeah. And they came back and they won and they won bigger. Richard Nixon likely died believing that he won three elections for president. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he, he almost assuredly believed that the, that the Kennedys cheated in 1960. Guess what? He just swallowed the L and moved on. Yeah. I think that there is a strain of our political culture that rewards this just keep fighting aesthetic. Yeah. It 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 gives, you know, a, a false and twisted hope to folks that I think leads to the idea of like, hey, look, for whatever we can say, and let's let, let's hold out the Eastman memo for, for two seconds. But if we're just talking about those lawsuits that were filed by Sidney Powell and Lee Wood and all them, those were thrown out fairly quickly. Yeah. Like if you were just an average person watching it, you saw, okay, is that a possibility? Well, Republican judges say no. Okay. So uh, you can either think that now the judges are corrupt or you can say there was some authority figure that said, that is that when it comes to the Russiagate stuff that went on yeah. for pretty much a there, year. There are still Democrats that I know that think that the 2020 or 2016 election was, but we also didn't get any kind. I mean, really by the time that we got to the point that somebody of, uh, of, of import in, in, with, with the Mueller investigation said, yeah, we couldn't find any evidence that there was any yeah. direct pipeline between Russia and Trump. We had already moved on to obstruction of justice. And that's ultimately what he probably could have and should have, you know, uh, at least would have made more sense than than the Ukraine stuff. Probably should have gotten uh, pushed on impeachment uh, the first time. So it's like when we talk about the destabilizing element of elections, if we worry about democracy, then to me, the 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 real missing piece is just saying, hey, look, I might not have liked everything that the ref did. I might genuinely believe that my opponent out and out cheated, but guess what? It's up to you to call these things out beforehand. Like there are elements of, of some of the, the Republican argument that I find compelling in that, like, Hey, look, we did radically change in many of these States, how they voted because of the pandemic. A lot of States that had never done mail-in voting before. Now all of a sudden we're doing mail-in voting. I don't know if there was widespread fraud. I do know that a new thing happened in something that traditionally goes glacially slow. So, so the kinks can be worked out. Uh, I, I, I understand that what I, what I think 
is incumbent upon anybody, and especially at presidential elections, is just, man, I, 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 if it's really close, really close, then it goes a few days, maybe a week. But, but we, need to, we need to incentivize and celebrate uh, our, our, our losing candidates. We need, we need to have a, a parade for Hillary Clinton and Mitt Romney and John McCain. Like, uh, uh, maybe not Hillary Clinton because you did yeah, the other yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, we're but, like Al Gore, I'd even give it to. Al, Al Gore could have drugged that out. Like, once the Supreme Court ruled on it, they went okay and they cost in their cards. They could have tried to slog that out with the electoral college. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and look, that was hundreds of votes. Hundreds and, and, and of and votes. If, if, if I were Al Gore, I would have fought at least, at least through the Supreme Court ruling. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I just, I, I think that that to me, everything else you, is a consequence. You, you, you know, you know what I think scares me about this deep down? And I, I see this and a lot of things personally is I am, can I, can I use D and D metaphors? How sure. nerdy is your yeah, audience? Yeah. There we go. I, I think, I think they're all plus six for D and D. I am hardcore lawful good. Yeah. I wish I were chaotic good. Cause those dudes get laid a lot more. I'm mm. not. I'm lawful good. I can't help it to the the just the the essence of my bones. I am like, all right, we can change the rules. We must abide them. They must be universal. If you're going to break the rule, you have to have a macro system for when you break rules. I like I, there's no point at which I do not live in a world of systems and restraints that, yeah. that I abide by. When I encounter people that don't have that same philosophy, they terrify me because I know that I am hobbled. When I'm confronting them and I, I see this, um, with a lot of Democrats, I know when it's not talking about the election, but just talking about like protocol where, um, uh, it's like, wait, president Obama can't do that. He can't do that by executive order. And what they'll basically tell me is, well, those rules exist to restrain bad guys. Yeah. He's not a bad guy. He's one of our guys. So like yeah. he can just do it because rules exist to stop Republicans. And I'm like, no, that's, that's, that tells me that the rules to you are just bludgeons to use when they're tactically useful. Yes. And that's very much what I get from Trump. Like at a, at a crazy level, oh, 100%. the, 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 the yes. rules are just, they are stickers and decals that are either useful or not useful. They mean absolutely nothing. And for me, lawful good guy that does have to stop when I get to the river and do the weird thing my D&D character requires when I cross rivers. I know that I'm screwed when I get into combat with these people because I, I am going to continue fighting the good fight and abiding these rules and they're not. And that scares me. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is, that is a scary element of political culture. Well, is I don't like idea. adulterers, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I remain like just like a like stolid 1990s conservative on adultery. Like if you're running for office, no, take in general, in general, abide the rules. I don't sleep with married women. All right, that's a challenge, married women. Yeah, uh, come and, bring come it, and get it Come and get it. They'll, yeah. they'll karate chop your hand yeah, as, you, as you reach outward. Try and give a concrete monk an erection. You can't do it. <laughs> uh, all right, let, let's let's uh, uh, pivot a little bit back to January 6th. In fact, the fact that we've gotten this deep into the conversation without actually discussing the riot yeah. is kind of proving my point. Uh, January 6th was an outgrowth of the bizarre elements of that year, 2020 and that election, which was very weird and very close. And the further I get away from it, the more I, I look at two really like campaigns under a lot of pressure, under a lot of stress operating under rules that, that they were, were being written as they went when it came to the pandemic, 
But also, boy, did either of them particularly rise to the challenge and deliver anything in the way of 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 of, of inspiration or competency. We get to the end. It is very close. It's just as close as it was in 2016. Uh, uh, Biden has the edge because Trump is looked at as erratic on COVID and wins. Trump, being erratic, uh, uh, decides that he's going to challenge it. I do believe that this none of this would have happened unless he would have continued to stretch this out as far as he did. I, I saw him speak the night before. No. Two nights before in Georgia, because he went and did what what essentially amounted to a voter suppression against Republicans rally in in the the runoff. Uh, That being said, as telegenic as January 6th was and as fascinating as it was. And and look, everybody can go back and listen to the interview into the podcast that we did with Jen Briney the day of January 6th. Two hours of the. Yeah. Of everything happening. happening. Yeah. Uh, I believe it is largely, most compellingly, a local story to Washington, D.C. It is something that the folks who were there, who, who and you know D.C., it is by and large a kind of small town where everybody sort of knows everybody. It was true terror and trauma for that community, that attendant press, uh, uh, and the friends and family that surrounded it because regardless of what we know now, regardless of whether or not you think it was a genuine uh, insurrection where these people had a plan and they were going to do X, Y, or Z, or uh, if it was, you know, bad apples and, 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 and non uh, prepared capital police force that went as bad as it could possibly go in that moment. And those adrenaline spikes don't go away. They leave grooves on your brain that, that last forever. It was the worst case scenario. It was a mob that was going to kill everybody in there. Uh, uh, and all these politicians were ushered down to this, you know, basement area where they had to wonder whether or not, you know, democracy had fallen. Right. Uh, and so I'm sympathetic to that. I'm sympathetic to the fact that that it gets the kind of coverage that it gets. I'm sympathetic to the fact that it remains the political conversation that it is. But that being said, from at least being an independent observer who has looked through it, I feel like we do kind of know what happened. I, I I feel like, you know, and Jen Briney, I always refer to, uh, uh, she did an amazing uh, uh, episode on this, going through a lot of, because by the way, there were a lot of congressional inquests into January 6th before the one that's happening now, which yeah. is largely a political exercise. Uh, but there was really, really good information that came out of there, up to and including the fact that the Capitol Police thought that that gathering was going to be a lot more like previous pro-Trump gatherings, which was your biggest threat was street fights. People would yeah. start arguing with each other and then start fighting in the street. So to handle that, you need a largely mobile force that that can find and break things up if, if, before they they escalate and not like some of the riots that had happened throughout the summer which was far more property damage based right. uh so they didn't wall off a lot of stuff they didn't put up the gates that they should have now that's a mistake the second thing is they had a byzantine way of calling for backup like the, the capitol police has to like call somebody else who calls somebody else who calls somebody else to get anybody else there. By the time that that happened, really all the damage had been done. Uh, if those two things don't happen, we don't have the telegenic element that we have. 
uh, and and I think that that's kind of known. What what I what I don't know is is you know where this goes from here politically, where where obviously Democrats want to make the Republicans wear this as much as they can. Uh, the Republicans do have to eat this poop sandwich or push it away and say that they don't even know what they're talking about. But as far as the event, as far as the thing that happened, while I'm sympathetic to everybody in DC for which it was a horrifying moment. And, and I, I do, I don't, I don't want to paper over that. I kind of feel like I know what happened. So, so, um, I don't disagree with you on we know what happened. I think that that's very well established at this point. I do disagree with you that it's a local story. Um, the, I mean, oh my God, you're you're like drawing my inner old school conservative out. Like go, I've like it's go. my anarchic like government's a lie. Like this all big shoved under to my inner like ghost of Bob Dole coming up behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, the Capitol belongs to everybody. That's an American institution. It's not yes. a DC institution. I I have an equal part in that as you do. As does anybody listening to this show. And seeing that invaded or rioted or incurred, however you want to say it, is an act of governmental sacrilege that very much. Do you think me. the fact that you work there affects your sure. thoughts on oh, that? Sure, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So that's all I'm saying. But but yes, there, there's absolutely there's emotional element. I'll say the 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 bit in terms of. In terms of the like, you know, what happened there, I I definitely see that as uh, a a bad sign thermometer for the country as a whole. And I where where I do think some nuance can be interjected into this is um I think Pelosi, I want to say it was Pelosi, early on spun this as white supremacists trying to stop a black woman from becoming vice president or something to that effect. And I was like, no, what this is is it was a bunch of idiots that were duped by a lying president into thinking they were restoring rightful rule of law. They're idiots and they were duped. But they weren't like the people that were there weren't going in because they thought they lost the election and they wanted to force an outcome through violence. They thought because, again, they were duped by an epistemological sociopath that they should come in and subvert it. Right. Or or restore it in their minds. So like that's something worth pointing out. Now, if I were a prosecutor, I think I would probably still I mean, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Right. I'd still be prosecuting these people, at least at least the ones we can catch on camera breaking stuff or fighting. Oh, and they people. have been. They have. Yeah, I mean, they have like, been. yeah, I, I, I don't um, I don't think that I've seen a lot right. of conversation about people getting off kind of right. scot free. Um, but but I, I think it's at least worth pointing out that what it wasn't was an attempt to um, that was not the attempt to subvert democracy. The attempt to subvert democracy was the court cases and the rhetoric that Trump was doing. The effect was patriotic people that were lied to and duped came in and stormed it. Um, but that worries me, though, because I think we might be getting to that point where the the losers believe they were aggrieved as opposed to they they lost because America made a mistake. This right? gets that back to me. my take the L. Take you the owe L. it. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your people to 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 take that loss. Uh, uh, I think it's it is it is a a a a lost a lost art in our, in our modern political world, uh, uh, to just say, Hey guys, we, we gave it our best. We got to get off the stage. Yeah. Now, well, it's, and, time, and now to, it's time to move on now, now to, to harness my, cause, cause by the way, I think if Donald Trump had done that, if Donald Trump had said after, you know, the AP called it and, and, you know, I, I, I have a little bit more of a personal, uh, 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 allowance for dumb lawsuits to get filed, uh, uh, than, than you do. But let's say 
That happens, and he says, guys, we pushed forward on it. We'll always... The, the 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 crime line will always be open eight 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 I won right but for now we are we are laying down our swords and and we're gonna move on we're gonna focus on this going forward and he spent the last year instead of talking about the big lie being the stolen election talking about I don't know anything else that's happening in America he'd probably be like. Uh, an odds on favorite to be the president again. If, if he like, and, and the weird thing about Trump that boggles my mind is it is so powerful when he's not an asshole. Like when he, when he just acts like a normal person with some sense of self-restraint, it is so arresting that you kind of drop everything. Like, like there's been two moments where that's happened. Um, when he lost the, in 2016, when he lost the Iowa caucus to Ted Cruz, which he initially said was stolen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. His his defeat speech. He came out and like, remember we have we've not we've not had four years of President yep. Trump at this point. We're still trying to figure out what he's doing. Uh, he comes out and he went. Uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to give a big congratulations to Ted Cruz. I know his team worked really hard. You guys deserve to celebrate. And like I at home, who did not like Trump then either, went, oh oh my God, is this the real Trump? Was the other stuff just an act? And he's gonna like. And then to his credit. When he beat Hillary Clinton, he was very magnanimous yes. in his victory speech. He came out and he, you know, we did it. I want to thank Hillary Clinton for a service to our country. And like, and I thought at that point, oh, okay, this was all just br brilliant media uh, uh, playing. And now yeah. he's going to, and like, I think the same thing if he'd done it with Biden and he'd, he'd uh, you know, like, and then like what he'd done this time around, if imagine if the last six months, what he'd done is just gone, um, no supply chain issues when I was president. We got the vaccine out early. And uh, unemployment was much lower than it is. Also, no inflation. Like, that's what I would do if I were him. And, well, instead and, and he does on his stupid listserv. But uh, uh, he also peppers that in with this, like, bizarre, quixotic, tilting at windmills quest to to recount everything again. And, and you, you, you know, Daryl Hammond, the, the of course, the, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the really funny guy that played, uh, I think, Clinton's kind of his comedic apotheosis on Saturday Night Live. But Trump, too. Trump, too. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very good um, comedic actor. Um, I read his biography a couple of years ago. It's called uh, God, Are You Up There? If Not, I'm Fucked uh, by Daryl yeah. Hammond. Um, and he's he wrote it in like 2013 or 2014. So it's before Trump was on the radar politically. He'd flirted with running as yeah. a reform party candidate. And and so he's Democrats aren't worried about him. He's still a joke at this time, right? And Daryl Hammond writes about how um, um, he, he had hung out with Trump a couple of times and the thing that really struck him about Trump was um, that he he could not comprehend losing. It was he was just incapable of cognitively processing a loss. So like he brought up, there's some example of I think it's Secretariat, the horse that kept winning. Yeah. That when when Secretariat finally lost, Secretariat walked up to the winner's circle anyway because it was so ingrained in the horse to go there, right? Yeah, and that's how he he perceived Donald Trump. And I I think there's something to that which um, uh, worries me. Uh, because I, I, I either he's crazy or he truly does not care about throwing the republic under his own ambitions, and both of those things are not good in a presidential candidate for one of the two major parties. Well, I mean, like I, I think uh, speaking of horses, that one has left the barn in terms of his <laughs> uh, political viability uh, 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 for for president, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, 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 I, I take your larger point about the idea that, that the Capitol is the people's building. Uh, I would say if we are going to examine 
partly why there is a disconnect there. It goes far deeper than Donald Trump uh, in terms of a populist uh, alienation from believing that they truly have any kind of control sure. over government. And, and I, you know what I should uh, add? Because like, I, I tend to be a, an elitist anti-populist, but something yeah. I'm going to give you guys credit for. Who's uh, you guys? The people. What, what, what do you any, mean, any, you people? Anybody listening to your show holding a pitchfork at the gotcha. moment. Gotcha. Okay, with good. Bernie yeah. Sanders shirt or your yeah. Confederate flag or whatever. Um, so like so, something that they're right about, it is rigged to a point. Now, I don't mean it's rigged in the sense that um, – that there's a smoky back room and they go, oh, there are eight votes. We'll just say there's four votes. What I mean is it is rigged in the sense that it's gerrymandered. That's it's happening in Texas right now where the Republican legislature is intentionally trying to design a map to put the thumb on the scale rather than have a straight election. Democrats do it whenever they have power. Um, it's like, in fact, there's actually uh, some counts that say that this is going to end up with a more favorable, uh, uh, democratic map than the 2020 vote was really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's the, I'm like, there's also, um, people talk about ballot suppression. There's incredible party suppression in our country. Like the, the, there's two ruling parties that do not want to break the binary. They do not want to have anybody in the country ever actually vote for their preferred option. They want everyone in the country to be terrified and angry and vote for the lesser of two evils because, well, I hate that team, but I don't hate them as much as the bad team. They do not want to let go of that because then they'd actually have to campaign based on values and and, and uh, solutions to problems. And like that, like to to for people that feel that the game is rigged, you're right in that, I, in that sense. You 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 interviewed Andrew Yang, right? Yeah, yeah. I I want to I want to try to get him on the show, and I really want to ask him this question. So, are you going to lose or be crucified? <laughs> because for the for the job you're applying for, which is notable third party guy, mm -hmm. uh, you're really only going to get one of the two. Yeah. Like you're not going to win. He's you are going now the somebody, maybe if you succeed beyond your wildest dreams with the forward party, maybe somebody a generation or two down the road, that person might win. But Andrew Yang is either going to fizzle out or be crucified, and that's the only two slots that he's going to have. I I hope he gets crucified in a <laughs> martyr sense. I like Andrew Yang. Yeah. I what, like what I think they should do. Um, what what the forward party should do. What any what any third party should do at this point is my idea. I've had it now for two years. Joker pack, Joker pack. We form a pack, a political action committee, and what we do is we go into every district in America that's up for grabs, and we run a third party candidate without any tactical goal in mind. Our goal is not to kick it to the Republicans or to the Democrats. Yeah. It's to screw it up for the Republicans and the Democrats and force them to go, fine, we'll give you ranked choice voting. Because they're not going to give it to you. The, the Republicans, I want to be uh, very clear, yeah, the Republican know, and Democratic uh, Party not, are run by power-hungry sociopaths. They do not want you to have an actual option available to I, you. They I, want I you agree. based out of I, fear I, and I, anger. I agree with all that. And the only I, way you're going to do is by playing their hands. I so Andrew think, Yang, give it to him. I don't, I don't think that, 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 uh, uh, tweaking the, the OS, uh, with ranked choice voting does as much as people think, but we, this is a longstanding conversation yeah. between, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, this is one of my many stupid hills I'll die on. It's yeah. Rick choice, Rick choice voting, occupational licensing, Sure. Uh, yeah. all, all, all I would say for all the ranked choice voting folks, look at all the intellectual diversity it brought to San Francisco and Oakland over the last 15 mm -hmm. years that it's mm -hmm. been in. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't it's not the magic panacea that I think a lot of people think it is. Uh, all right. I think that's it. Okay. I think we talked an appropriate amount. Of, We're the first of, people of, of, to talk about January 6th, 6th since it happened. I just I just uh, how can we miss you when you never go away? Like we, I, I feel like I've seen the same clips a million different times. Can, can, can I can I kick a tactical question to you? Because you're much better at political tactics sure. than I am. Yeah. Uh, 
I would generally bet America's got a pretty short attention span. Yeah. So um, if if they were having it, if this happened, let's say a year before the midterms, if I were a Democrat, I'd be running on this. Two years after this has happened, when the midterms happened, are people, is this just going to be normalized and forgotten or are Democrats going to be running on it? I mean, we have, uh, uh, I, you know, the patrons get the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show, which is where I break down all the, the main uh, uh, Sunday political chat shows. Uh, that, as you know, is is in the weird arcane world of the DC calendar, the like beginning of the messaging for the week. The powers that be will get the messages that they want out in front during these shows. It was wall to wall January 6th. Mm, and okay. and it, yeah. there have been sporadic over the past few like months, just random episodes where January 6th is the number one yeah. topic. So I think very much the Democrats would like to continue to run on this, whether or not it will be effective. Let's remember also that in, you know, the the uh, Virginia election, Terry McAuliffe ran on Trump, 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 Trump. Uh, Glenn Youngkin is Trump yeah. and Glenn Youngkin ran as Trump's a very nice guy. Please don't come to Virginia. Uh, uh, I think you were a great president. I never need to see you in this state ever. Uh, and he won. So is there a a... I think the, the 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 Democrats see this as an effective way to paint every Republican as right. Trump. I, I don't know. And, and, and my, uh, my, my, I mean, I, honestly, I do think it matters so much more to politicians and so much yeah. more to DC media than it does. I think it's probably true. To, to other people. I mean, other people, I don't think that anyone's pumping their fist and saying this was the greatest thing on the planet. I think that people look at it as a very, very regrettable, ugly moment in history. But not like a president getting shot. See, at. This goes, yeah, and this goes back to I'm less bothered by that than I am of the the legal machinations yes. coming out of politicians. Like I have zero plans to ever vote for or support a Republican that refused to uh, confirm the electoral college vote in 2020. And yeah, like, I'd say like a couple of them in Oklahoma are family friends that like I personally like, and I yeah. will like. Not that they're asking me for donations or anything. It doesn't make any difference. I don't cover Oklahoma politics, but like they're, they're out. And like, and I, like I voted for Tom Cole, representative from Oklahoma when I was in friggin' Scotland as a Democrat. I like yeah. him, but like he knew better. That guy knows better. He's a, yeah. a PhD history. He knows better. And like, I like that they're out. I'm, n- I'm never supporting a Republican, but I don't think all Republicans have it, but those ones who did that, that voted for that. Um, I, I think that they were collapsing they showed their ass they showed their ass they 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 showed that that hey look uh i would rather have the endorsement of trump whether or not he's going to be in office because i think senator lankford pulled a a good like senator lankford had from oklahoma had been and inhoff inhoff who's like an arch conservative didn't get in on that nonsense yeah probably because he's 80 and he's not up for re-election for another four years but nonetheless he actually called it as he should have lankford um initially during the Transition before the um, the inauguration was like, guys, we got to start giving the Democrat or we got to give Biden sec- uh, uh, security, security stuff. Yeah. And then everybody freaked out and he's like, I'm not going to sign it. And then the insurrection happened. And he's like, I, I, I'm going to sign it. Yeah. And I was like, all right, good. You came back at the last minute. I'm going to like you. You were potentially OK. Uh, but any of the other ones, no, you're out. I, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's, uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again. We've already made a D and D reference. So we're going to end on a Rick and Morty reference that, that campaigns are like Mr. Meeseeks. <laughs> like they're only <laughs> supposed to live for so long. Mm. Like, and the longer they last and boy, they've only gotten longer and longer, which means they just get weirder and weirder. And like, especially when you go past election day, 
every minute that a campaign is alive past election day, it only gets just super weird, like and super dangerous. So uh, 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 please, candidates, if anybody's listening to this that is ever running, dignity, dignity and pride awaits you saying that you lost. Because guess what happens when you say you lost? You can start focusing on being a winner again. You don't have to live your life in this thing where everybody knows that you sucked. You sucked and you lost. Why would you want to live there? Why would you want to live there? Just say whatever. I I, I agree. Man, maybe. I don't know. Look, many people say many different things. I'm focused on the next thing. I'm focused on the next thing. Go. This is a lesson for life. All right, there we go. Now I'm so mad. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, put my feet up on Heaton's desk like that did do for Pelosi's uh, 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 political orphanage. Uh, you've got uh, a bunch of really cool stuff up there. I, I do for for anybody that hasn't swung by in a bit. Uh, I am far less stodgy uh, in the last few few episodes. We we picked like like the 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 bullet bullseye of heat and stodginess for this topic. Um, last week I had on uh, Marty. Mangello, former White House chef, which was an awesome chat. It's just me basically talking to a chef about spy stuff. Nice. A guy that worked in the White House and I'm like going over security procedures and like how he has to like 2 a.m. give people code words and things at Camp David. It's a really, really fun chat. It was really, really enjoyable. Uh, week before that had a little bit of politics, but it was almost all, it was like 95% comedy. I did a Christmas special. I do a yes. Christmas special every year. Very pleased with it this year. It's very, very funny. Um, even though Christmas is over, it remains funny. Uh, yeah. So you might check that a out. Hilarious, hilarious Christmas special. And let me also plug for for your Patreon. You also did a thing where you had cut and extended versions of some of the sketches mm-hmm. uh, and then explained. So for all the comedy nerds, like if you like 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 the Dana Carvey like thing that I did where it was like very much trying to explain and, and dissect comedy and why things are funny. Uh, boy, are you going to love like this is. Like like any comedy nerd would would love funny people being deadly serious. Uh, uh, it is it is really 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 good. I, nice. I loved it. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Mr. Andrew Heaton for talking with us for so long, well. You can do so at px3guest.com. If you want to email the program, you can do so at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. You can watch me live on Twitch, px3live.com. And you can uh, share this podcast with your friends and family at px3podcast.com. If you would like to support us with a one-time donation, look, we thank everybody everybody who does anything to spread the word on this show. You know, the uh, 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 Adam Curry's and John C. Dvorak's of the world call it a value for value model. Whatever you have uh, uh, that you believe is, is worth something that matches the worth you get from this show, well, I, I, I love and I treasure. For a lot of you guys, it is the Patreon. For some of you guys, it's just sharing this with a friend or, you know, shouting it out on social media. It's leaving a comment on any of the directories. And some of you guys, well, you got a little bit of scratch, but you don't have or have the inclination to sign up on Patreon, which means 
that we get little, uh, just little one-time donations, including on PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury, P-A-Y-J-U-R-Y. On Venmo, Justin-Young-20, where we got Miles with a $1.21 tip that said gigawatts of politics. And Ohan, who gave me 10 bucks and said, uh, enjoying PX3. Happy holidays. Well, thank you so much. I'm also on Cash App, PX3 Cash. And if you'd like to send a gift, and boy, we got some great gifts, great Christmas cards. Uh, uh, to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. That's another place to go. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Now, the only place that you get the bonus content is there on TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule, including the aforementioned Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show, breaking down all the Sunday chat shows and giving you the Rosetta Stone for the week ahead in politics. And the $10 tier gets you your name read at the end of the podcast, along with everything else in the $3 tier, just like these beautiful, beautiful people. In the Titanic $10 tier. Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, the Kinsey, Anili, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman, or spy. D, really? And vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison. No mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Diana's Scathing Scowls, Double K Ranch, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John Snuffies off Route 44, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Richard, D Laser, Just Another Pilot, Mike, that's middle aged Mike, The Gen, Will, J Pink, and a jubilant Andrew. Again, you want to join their ranks? Very simple. Just head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. All right. Here's my pitch for Friday's episode. I think you guys, I think you guys are going to really like it. I've been fascinated by something. And that is the online conversation around NFTs. And the more I thought about it, not about NFTs themselves, have your opinions about NFTs, but the armies that were amassing on either side of it, it reminded me of something. It reminded me of a culture war argument. But more than that, it reminded me of something ancient, a dynamic that throughout my adult life has essentially gone away. It made me wonder. If the distinction that the internet had largely erased of jock versus nerd is being rebuilt on new fault lines. I know that's a lot, 
But I guarantee you, I'm going to connect these dots on Friday. Until then, a reminder that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.